Trudging Together's Raw Recovery with Dion. I am your host, Dion. And today uh, we have on a guest. Her name is Amy. She's actually referred to me uh, by a previous speaker, Angel. So I'd like to welcome Amy. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Certainly. Thank you for coming and taking your time to tell your story. Um, it's always, I think it's always important to have. Uh, different stories that come on and after you were gonna have a another mail so um, but let's let's just go ahead and, and get started and um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background so background hmm I grew up in an alcoholic home okay. my dad was an alcoholic and my mom was kind of a religious fanatic so mm-hmm. I grew up um, in the war between the North and the South, you know, like my dad was from Arkansas and my mom was from Nebraska. Okay. And they had this like ongoing like battle going on because my dad was drunk all the time and my mom okay. was bringing religious home, religion mm-hmm. home. So. And it's like having your parent. That, that kind of reminds me of uh, Donald Duck having the having the good duck and the bad duck on his shoulders, right. kind of telling you right. what to do. That'd be a pretty confusing childhood absolutely confusing my dad uh my dad was super abusive to my mom my mom was super abusive to us kids i mean my dad abused us too but mostly the you know the crap rolls downhill so certainly there was a lot of abuse going on a lot of physical abuse and mental abuse and religious abuse and psychological abuse for sure that would probably that would probably make it um pretty tough to make that hurdle into recovery then was that was that something that uh do you think affected your recovery at all i think it did i mean when i was little i said that i would never drink or use drugs and that you know like i was never going to be like my dad i saw my dad stab a fork through my mom's hand and um you know like just just lots of things i mean that's like one of many things that i saw growing up and i never wanted to be like him yeah and uh you know, I think my dad died of cirrhosis of the liver when I was 14. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. It was, it was really hard. I mean, he was like my best friend. So my mom, you know, kind of took over. Really, she took over in a way that she didn't take over. She like yes. locked herself in her bedroom, reading okay. the Bible, not really taking care of any of us. So I kind of got the job of taking care of my siblings uh, so, at a very young age. Yeah. So you switched roles. And that was something that I had to do. Also, my mother um, was a drinker, so I had to, you know, I took care of the bills. You know, I fed I fed my brother and sister, made sure they did their homework. You know, the only reason I got good at signing my mother's name is because I paid the bills. So, <laughs> you know, it's those things that we do, I think, that really affect us as we get into the drinking phase. Right. Because then we think, I always felt like I had a right you know, because then my mom got sober, she wanted to take back over, and that made me mad. Right. I was mad. Yeah. She disrupted how I was doing things. 
Um, what age did you start drinking? So I didn't start drinking until I was 18. Okay. Um, after my dad died, my mom and I got into it pretty heavily. I met this guy when my dad was in the hospital and snuck okay. out. First time I got um, in contact with the police. Okay. And I definitely wasn't going to tell them who I was or where I lived or anything. So I gave him a fake name and I sat in their little holding area for a oh. while. And then they brought me to my mom. Uh-huh. And they told me, we'll talk to her. We'll make sure nothing happens. And I'm like, you have no idea. Like, this woman will kill me. Mm-hmm. And before the cops even left the gravel of our driveway, my mom was hitting me with a one-by-one stick and hit me over 100 times and left blood blisters and uh, black and blue marks okay. on the middle of my back all the way to the backs of my knees. Okay. And that was the day that I decided to leave home. Yeah. And I moved in with some people from our church and pursued the guy next thing you know i get pregnant i'm not telling my mom i'm pregnant <laughs> no, you know you're not. so the youth pastor tells her that uh-huh, i'm pregnant okay. and um she puts together a shotgun wedding so i get married at 15 to this guy and have a baby at 16 wow get divorced at 17 mm-hmm. and start drinking at 18 okay that was a heck of a progression right there <laughs> yeah i was like the fast and the furious <laughs> so what what happened that made you decide it was okay to to drink? Was uh, it that fear? There was a fear there, a very very big valid fear right, of your father. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, watching somebody die from cirrhosis is horrible. Yeah, I've it seen really it, is. and it's horrible. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a fun thing to watch. So something something mm-hmm. clicked in your mind. What was it? So I was living in Colorado Springs, right outside of the B Street Gate. Okay. I met the guy, you know, the new guy, and he was like, hey, uh, you know, having a couple of drinks would be fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I'll take care of you. I'll protect ah. you. So he went out and got a four pack of Jack Daniels Lunchburg Lemonade. And he said, these two are for you and these two are for me. We'll stay here. Everything will be fine. And I, that was not fine for me. I slammed my two down, took his second one, slammed that down, (laughs) sent him back to the liquor store for more. (laughs) And so blackout drinker from day one, um, went next door to the neighbor's house and drank shots of everything that they had in their liquor cupboard. And when he came back, um, he found me in the shower with some dude that I didn't know. So Uh I was in my house, so I don't know where I found this guy, but uh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. We we alcoholics tend to have some pretty weird adventures. Um, I've woken up in the bathtub a couple of times. I was alone. But, uh, yeah, just I have woke up. Uh, I should say, come to right in some very sordid places. Places I would not even think of going now. Right. I would. I wouldn't even think of that. Um, of course, we live a much different life. Today. things things are a lot different so we're 18 we have discovered alcohol and we love it love it yeah. but probably had alcohol poisoning that first time you know i woke up in the bathtub covered mm-hmm. in my own vomit my boyfriend laying on the floor next to me saying if you ever drink again i'm gonna leave you i'm like it was your responsibility to take care of me yeah. you said you would um to this day i don't know where my kid was yeah. you know i don't know if she was in the house while i was drinking or if she was with her dad you know, those things are some of the things that still haunt me. Yeah. And she's okay now, though. She is. Good. I mean, that's what matters. Sometimes 
know, it's difficult with our disease because there's a lot of whys. There's a lot of things that we don't know. Yep. And, you know, I have lapses in memory too from my drinking. And it's scary because I have no idea what I did. I have no idea what happened. And to think back on it now is, you know, I can't believe that I was putting other people in such dangerous situations for my drinking. Yeah. That you know, was me. And knowing it. And knowing we're doing it. So, you know, at 18, you, you hit your first one. Let's talk a little bit about the progression because it didn't stop there. It did and not you, stop you, there. <laughs> you deflected right off the bat. Well, you were supposed to take care of me. Right. So we've already got a great setup here now already. So let's move forward a little bit. Um, what happened from there? What, so, what, what started to happen? Yeah. I mean, I I ran through alcohol and friends and boys like, you know, like alcohol, really. Mm -hmm. um, men were like a bottle with a zipper for me. Mm -hmm. And I was addicted to anything that was placed in my, my path. And yeah. every guy was like, oh, yeah, you can drink. And, you know, they were always there to protect me. And I never would start drinking if there wasn't enough to get me as drunk as I wanted to be, mm -hmm. which I always wanted to be blackout drunk. Yep. And then I started using all kinds of alcohol enhancers and did everything that I said I wouldn't do. So now I'm using, you know, meth and I'm using um, crack and I'm yeah. putting needles in my arms and mm -hmm. I'm going to worse. Drugs. Yeah, anything and everything. Like yeah. if somebody had a handful of whatever, I would take it. Mm -hmm. Like just give me more, yeah. you know, that really was my, my drug of choice was yeah. more. I wanted to be gone really yeah. you know yeah, totally if, oblivious if it made me feel closer to how i felt when i first drank alcohol i would do it right and what she's talking about here is when you drink and you drink excessively like we do you build what's called a tolerance mm. and with alcohol this tolerance never goes away you will always have this tolerance so we get to a point where the alcohol isn't working anymore so we add on other things there is nothing like mixing oxy and alcohol for me. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Gave me a brand new, gave me a brand new lease on life for another year. <laughs> you know, it certainly didn't last. Right. So, so we're we're twenty. You know, we're you're going into your twenties, um, getting a little bit older. But you have some time under your belt. <laughs> you have some yes, time. So you 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 uh, got sober young. I did. I'm presuming. I did get sober really young. So I did all of my craziness in a matter of a few years. Okay. I, uh, you know, the, the drinking and the drugging got very progressive. I ended up getting arrested. Um, I was dating this guy and he's like, let's go to Maryland and meet the parents. And you know that those were like <laughs> the words, those are bad words that I never wanted to hear. <laughs> I never wanted to hear words. anybody say "I love you" or "Let's go meet the parents." Yep. And I finally agreed to go meet the parents. And you know, I I like what you were just talking about because he had had surgery on his mouth, mm -hmm. and he got Tylenol three or whatever. Oh, Tylenol three and, with codeine. Yeah, with codeine and. He's like, oh, I hate the way these make me feel. And I was like, I love the way yeah. they make me feel. And don't worry, I'll throw them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, <laughs> had my fake ID from yeah. Fast Eddie's, yeah. you know, passport photo place. Yeah. So I'm drinking on the plane. I'm taking those, you know, pills. And by the time we get to Maryland, I don't even remember getting to Maryland. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember the plane flight. 
and I have my little two-year-old daughter with mm-hmm. us. And, you know, not too long after getting there, uh, I don't remember meeting the parents. Um, I just remember him putting me in a taxi, sending me to the airport mm-hmm. and have no clue what I did. Yeah. And, you know, from there, I go back to Colorado Springs where I was living and um, decide to have the biggest and best party of all time because mm-hmm. that's what you do, you yes, know, when you is. really wreck a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I decided to drop my daughter off. I don't know what little thing inside of my head that made me t- drop her off to her dad's, but I'm so glad that I did. Yes. Um, I'm glad to hear that right now. Yeah. Um, she, I got back to my apartment and one of my friends was there watching my apartment while I was gone and she had punched a hole through the wall. Okay. So I got mad that she punched the hole through the wall. <laughs> so I kicked a hole through the wall big <laughs> enough to walk through and took a baseball bat to every fixture in the entire place. And uh, if you're going to destroy a room, let me show you how to do it. Here, people. <laughs> yeah. $10,000 worth of damage later. Um, kicked out all the windows um, with my bare hands and feet and um, had a lot of anger for sure. Yeah. And uh, went and got the mail, saw that I had a, a credit card in the mail and was like, I'm going to take everybody to Las Vegas. Yep. Like, it's New Year's Eve, and we're going to Vegas, and we're in a party with Metallica. To this day, I do not know if Metallica was in Las Vegas, but in my mind, they were. <laughs> so, you know, get all my friends best together. Best concert you ever, you <laughs> yeah. ever, never went yeah. to. <laughs> exactly. The best fantasy ever. And so, you know, like, I pile all my friends, my hoopty party mobile. I had mm-hmm. this little black Chevy Chevette, you know, that you had to park on a hill mm-hmm. and pop the clutch to get it to go. Oh, you know, yes. you had your friends pushing your car in the back. <laughs> you had like um, antifreeze and oil in the back seat just yep. in case it leaked it all out. And we get to the airport and they won't let any of us fly because we're all way too way messed too, up. Yeah. Totally messed up. So yeah. they send us off and I'm like, fine, we'll drive to Las Vegas. And I'm doing like Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, like driving with my foot, throwing um, Bacardi Breezer, empty bottles into Mm -hmm. oncoming traffic, running red lights, Mm -hmm. doing like 90 and a 30, and we get pulled over. Well, I had decided before, you know, we're going to have this biggest and best party to go to the store and get all these disposable cameras. Mm -hmm. So even though I don't really remember any of this stuff, (laughs) there was like a camera, you know, (laughs) all these pictures, picture proof of what happened. Uh This is before the Internet. So (laughs) Um, I tell my friends, uh, we're going to drive. We got to go back to my apartment. They're Mm -hmm. like, let us out on the side of the road. Um, you're going to get us killed. Yeah. So I leave my friends on the side of the road. I drive back to my apartment. One of my friends is there saying, I have your keys. You're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. I get dressed up in my wedding dress from when I was 15. And, of course, this wedding dress is a big peach, like, prom gown. Yeah. Because I'm a sinner, so mm-hmm. I can't get married in white. White, yeah. And I put my Doc Martens on and put my hair in a bun on top of my head and decided to drive to Las Vegas by myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember seeing red and blue lights in my rearview mirror. And uh, luckily they moved because I don't think I would have stopped. And from there, there was, like, a pursuit downtown Colorado Springs on mm-hmm. BGO and I-25. And I'm like, look, my own personal escort to Las Vegas. <laughs> and I get onto the on-ramp um, in Colorado Springs on BGO and throw my car into reverse and slam into all the cop cars behind me. 
They don't like that. No, so. they do not. This Especially is New Year's Day of 1995, and I jump out of the car, and they don't like that either. So um, this is the second time that I've been arrested, and they put me in the back seat of the car. And if you've ever been arrested, you know how uncomfortable it is it to is. have um, handcuffs behind your back. Now mm-hmm. think about having a, a wedding dress that's like 10 feet wide mm-hmm. and how uncomfortable that is. <laughs> I went so. to I went to jail in a in a woman's sweater once, so I don't feel too bad for you. <laughs> so I tear <laughs> Those the wedding. Those plastic yeah. <laughs> seats are uncomfortable with handcuffs, and then you have to itch your face. Uh, yeah, happens every time. Right, exactly. So. Like, <laughs> so I tear the wedding dress off. Okay, and uh, now I'm on the on ramp to Bijou and I twenty five naked, and the news cameras are there by this time. And I'm belligerent. I'm not a nice drunk. Yeah. Um, I'm super belligerent, very violent. And so they hogtie me, mace me, and put me in the backseat of the car. Yeah. Uh, my heart stopped. And, you know, for a long time in sobriety, I wondered why they didn't just let me die. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, there were lots of times that I wish that they had. And um, I woke up in a hospital bed. Um, in a paper gown with charcoal down the front of my gown and my hand handcuffed to the bed and an officer standing at the door saying, Amy, you're in big trouble. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, for what? (laughs) Like, I had a bruise from here to here on my leg, you know, all the way down. And I thought I had a case of police brutality. And uh, they said first degree assault on two police officers Mm -hmm. and eluding the police and, you know, a bunch of other charges. So I went straight from the hospital bed to jail. And immediately called my mom and told her that I was one of the untouchables and I was going to be president of the United States. And <laughs> and she goes, um, where are you? And I said, I'm in Las Vegas. I'm partying with Metallica. And she goes, no, it said uh, um, collect call from El Paso County Jail. Yeah. And I'm like, the phones must be messed up. I'm in Las Vegas. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they let me out on a PR bond, which was a really bad idea because okay. I was still totally messed up. And I ended up going to one of my friends' house, kicking the door in so that I could sleep, and got rearrested the next day for um, criminal trespass. Yeah, breaking and, in, right? Yep. So spent the next sixty-five days in solitary confinement. Um, got into a fight as soon as I got back to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been um, shooting pop bottle rockets and Roman candles into the apartment above me because okay. I really didn't like that girl, and she right. happened to be in jail, <laughs> and so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, got into my second fight in my whole life um, in jail the second time and uh, lost custody of my daughter. I remember sitting in this jail cell and getting this piece of paper saying, ex parte, change in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a danger to yourself in society yeah. and attempted suicide a few times in jail. And when you do that, they put you in a rubber room. Mm-hmm. They duct tape a helmet on your head. Yep. They put leather cuffs around your wrists and uh, so you don't hurt yourself. And um, Usually a little thing over your head, a spit guard. Yeah, they didn't do that at the time because they just locked me in the in the rubber room. Yeah, this was like, the 90s. paper over the door. So, yeah. you know, they couldn't see me in there being crazy. were a lot different than right. they are now. Right. That's right. So. so there were a couple of things that you said in there, and, it, and so there was the charcoal part. If people don't understand that, that means that you've done too much, and they're trying to get you, you're 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 dead. Yeah, you're about to die. That's why you get the charcoal, and I've been there too. And there's one thing that we alcohol almost all of us alcoholics have in common, 
we wonder why we're still here because we should be dead 10 times over just because of all the stuff that we've decided to do and put ourselves in and how belligerent we become and it's hard because you're sitting inside of yourself looking out doing these things and you can't stop yourself you can't I remember times I was doing stuff I'm like I don't want to do this why am I still doing this why am I why is this still happening so um, I'd like to cover another topic um, it's probably a little bit harder if it's not something we want to discuss that's okay um, alcoholics and, and addicts we tend to go in and out of people's lives fairly quickly and we go through relationships like nobody's business or at least I did um, so when it came time for me to recover I found that I had a hard time loving other people or being not necessarily intimate but huggy kissy you know that kind of thing because it just brought back those kind of memories so um, with the, the alcohol have effect on relationships even after for a little while or absolutely I mean I think that you know my relationships with people I wasn't telling people that I had a kid um, you know, I wasn't having a relationship with really anybody when they told me not to have a relationship for a year. It wasn't really that hard for me because yeah. I really didn't want to be around people. I didn't let anybody in. Um, you know, my motto when I was out there on the streets was trust no one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, and when I came into <clears throat> a 12 step program, I trusted a lady with some stuff and she told everybody. And so I was like, there's nowhere that I'm going to be able to trust anybody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it took me a really long time to to be able to trust anybody with any of the stuff. I mean, stuff that I'm freely telling you and who knows Certainly, how many yeah. other people today, yeah. <laughs> but those were my private things, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, and that's a different situation, though. A sponsor is supposed to be a closed mouth friend. Right. Um, there's a certain level of confidentiality there. So, sorry that happened to you. Yeah, sorry. So, there's always a point where something happens where we decide we don't want to do this anymore. We don't want to live this life. So what happened? Well, you know, after I got out of jail, when I was sitting in jail for those 65 days in solitary confinement, I, you know, most people, most normal people would be like, let's get my life back. You know, I was Mm -hmm. evicted from my apartment. I had nothing. I was kicked out of medical school. Um, There were all kinds of things that I should have been like ready to get back as soon as I got out. Instead, I'm marking off the days on the calendar, like who can bring me a bottle of Bacardi 151 Mm -hmm. and a pack of Marble Reds so that I don't have to feel the way that I feel. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you I was drunk before I left that parking lot and I continued for the next year, even though I was calling for a color every single day. I was doing everything under the sun to not come up with a dirty UA. Mm -hmm. I was transferring my probation all over the state of Colorado and (laughs) um, ended up getting arrested again at the end of 1995 for aggravated motor vehicle um, theft and domestic violence and um, ended up in jail again. And I can tell you that the consequences never deterred me from anything that I did. It never mattered to me. I was like, so so what? So now I'm looking at four (laughs) years of prison time. For all of the stuff that was on the deferred from before because, mm-hmm. you know, I had broken this officer's nose, so got charged with, you know, like, like I was, I was such a bad kid. And, uh, you know, you'd think that aggravated motor vehicle theft and looking out four years of prison would stop me. And it still didn't. There was, 
there was nothing, you know, like I was sitting in a, in a, um, crack house one night, um, smoking as much as I could, drinking as much as I could, um, putting needles in my arm and I could not get high or drunk no matter what I did. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that that scared me more than waking up in another country, not knowing where I was, like waking up with some dude that I didn't know, like that scared me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was probably one aha in a series of many, but I wanted to kill myself every day. You know, every day I wish that I wouldn't wake up Mm -hmm. and it was like Groundhog's Day. Yeah. Every day, like (laughs) stealing from people, you know, like checking people's cars to see if they were unlocked so I could get change and Mm -hmm. stealing from stores and, you know, like had all these scams going on just to get drugs every single day. And um, it's hard work. It's hard work. It's very hard. People don't realize how hard it is to (laughs) maintain an addiction when you're broke. That's right. I mean, going into the... We had a scam where we went into King Supers, like would steal cat food or dog food. They used to have it like right inside the door mm-hmm. and we'd steal it out of one door and go into the next door and return it yeah. without a receipt, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, like I think the desperation inside of me was really what got me here. I was so lost. I had a big black hole inside of me that nothing mm-hmm. could fill. And I really hadn't talked to my mom in, a, in years probably. And she was the last person that I could think of that might take my phone call. I had burned every bridge with every person Mm -hmm. that I know. And um, she took my phone call and she said, there's somebody here that wants to talk to you, Amy. And I was like, who could possibly want to talk to me? You know, like, what did I do? Um, You know, always looking over my shoulder. (laughs) And she put a preacher on the phone with me. Uh And I don't know what that guy said. And I know he said a prayer, but... There was a warmth that came over me mm-hmm. and like for one moment, like I had a little ounce of hope and my mom said, Amy, if you go to alcohol and drug rehab, I'll help you get your kid back. And that's probably the only thing that she could have said to me to make me go. And I was like, I don't have a problem. I'm depressed. You know, like, get me some pills. <laughs> like, uh, pills were always the solution, you're right? You're drinking a depressant. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And so um, she said, I've looked into Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. It's a six-week treatment center. And I was like, you know, like, I was living from couch to couch to couch. I was pretty much homeless anyway, you know, meeting a dude in a bar and staying at his apartment for a while until, you know, until the SWAT team came or something. No, until DEA comes and cuts up his couches (laughs) and stuff, you know, like that's usually when my box of belongings was on the front porch, you know, like there there was no like easy exit. It was always like, I'm going to steal everything out of your bathroom kind of, you know, craziness. But yeah, so, you know, calling my mom and uh, making the decision to go to Salvation Army. I was 21 years old Mm -hmm. and uh, walked in the front door and they were like, it's a six month treatment center. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, no, walked right back out Mm -hmm. the front door. I was like, I could do six weeks. I'm not doing six months. And, uh, you know, I called my mom again and she said, if you go to treatment, I'll help you get your kid back. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, thank God for moms. (laughs) Thank God. Thank God that that's the only thing that she could have said. So I went back in and, you know, they told me a lot of things in treatment that I didn't believe. They were like, if you ever used alcohol, you're an alcoholic. And if you ever use drugs, you're a drug addict. And, um, you know, like all of these crazy things that they told me, like, if you ever tried to control it and you couldn't and blah, 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 all this other stuff. And I'm like, why on earth would you ever try to control it? Like, (laughs) why? (laughs) I 
would not start if there wasn't enough to get mm-hmm. totally blackout drunks. Mm-hmm. Sorry, like never going to happen. And so, you know, like my brain starts thinking while I'm in treatment, like if I never controlled it, then maybe I'm not an alcoholic. Maybe I, maybe it was just a phase, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I was just being rebellious. Like all these people are saying, these old timers that told me that they spent spilled more alcohol on their tie than I'd ever drank. Oh, I've heard that one. <laughs> My reply was I was just a better drinker. That's asshole. right. <laughs> I was like, well, had you not been spilling it, maybe you'd been getting here sooner. Yeah, you're the I always made, made sure that, you know, my drink was up no matter where I was. But I went out and tried some controlled drinking while I was in treatment. Okay. And, uh, Went to no excuses right next to primary purpose. Yep. And, uh, you know, decided to have a couple of Kahlua and creams Mm -hmm. because, you know, those are those are kind of mild in the grand scheme of things. Just have a couple. See if you could do the two thing, you know, Mm -hmm. try the Marty Man test and um, went back to treatment, told my therapist and, um, you know, I really thought I was going to get kicked out of treatment. I was probably 90 days in and my therapist said, I'm going to put my job on the line for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I trust I trust that you're going to make it. And um, don't change your sobriety date. Don't tell anybody about this. Just stay and graduate. And I stayed and graduated from that pro- program. And I got pregnant before I left there with my second daughter. Not by anybody in treatment. <laughs> but um, they tried to kick me out for being pregnant. And when I got out, my brother picked me up and he's like, Hey, let's have a bowl to celebrate. And I was like, yeah, I don't I don't really like pot anyway. Yeah. You know, like I never did. <laughs> never liked the way it made me feel, but okay, celebration time. I've been in treatment for six months. Mm-hmm. And so I smoked this bowl and a week later my friend is like, Amy, a glass of wine would be really good for the baby. I was like, Yeah, I don't even like wine. You know, yeah. like and uh I went to no excuses again and you know, I remember them pouring that pink liquid into that glass and thinking, like, I, I can stop for this unborn baby inside me. I've already lost custody of a kid, um, and I couldn't. I drank myself into a blackout, ended up in a hotel room with some dude I didn't know. And, um, you know, as I was picking up my clothes the next morning and walking out of this hotel room, I was just like, what the heck? Like, seriously, Amy, are you, are you really willing to lose another baby as a result? of your drinking and you know before that I really hadn't been going to any meetings or anything and I'd been going to bars and having my little card sign because I thought it would be funny and I remember my therapist telling me about this place called Vitality and that if I went up there Jim and Greg and and Larry would be up there and that they would help me and I remember walking up those 22 steps that are straight up, oh, you know. Oh, dear those steps. If you can make it up those steps, you can do the 12 steps. Right. <laughs> 22 steps straight up. And, um, you know, found those guys and sat in this meeting for a long time and was unwilling to do most everything that they told me to do. But I immediately picked up my six-month chip because I should have had six months sober. Yep. And I really didn't want anybody to know that um, I drank while I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I found out later that my therapist had sent me to her home group and um, she sent me to a place where she knew I'd be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, Vitality is a great group. Yeah. Fantastic. So, you know, I stayed there for a long time and I um, went to a lot of meetings. 
Because they told me things like, meeting makers make it. (laughs) And I don't know that I believe that. But I think that if you go to more meetings, you have more chances. Certainly. Why not give yourself every chance that you can? Right. You know, because when it comes down to it, we didn't make it to where we wanted to quit drinking on our own best advice. Right. You know, we got ourselves to where we were and we have to admit the fact that our choices put us in the place that we were in. Even though it's a disease, it is a disease. And that's what I hit on it a little bit earlier when I was talking about you're doing something you can't stop yourself. And it's very, it's scary. Right. There were times when I, you know, I slept downstairs so I didn't jump out the freaking window because I was afraid I was going to do that to myself. So, um, but you've been sober for quite some time now. I mean, you have 23 years. Right. So what's life like now? Well, life is amazing now. You know, I've, um, I have a whole brand new life. Oh. I have my oldest daughter is back in my life and she's 28. awesome. I know. It's really cool. The middle daughter that I um, was pregnant with when I was in rehab, she's 22 mm-hmm. and pregnant with twin baby boys. Woo-hoo. I know. Grandma so I'm going to be a grandma. <laughs> and my youngest daughter is in her third year of college um, in Minnesota. Wow. And, you know, like none of them have a problem with drugs or alcohol and, you know, really good kids and a really amazing life. I met a guy when I was about a year sober and we've been together ever since. Like, who would have thought like somebody like me could have like a a long term relationship because I was like in this place before where I was like, oh, that would be boring. I would never want to have a long term relationship. Like, how boring would that be? Yeah, that long. (laughs) Right. So we've been together 22 years. That's and awesome. Married 18 of those. Okay. And, you know, like my life has been definitely a roller coaster ride because I was unwilling to do a lot of things that were suggested of me in the okay. beginning because I was settling for relief, mm-hmm. you know? Like I didn't think I was worth all the things that these people were talking about, you know, the mm-hmm. promises and, you know, all of all of the, you know, gifts that all of these people that I saw getting, I was willing to just settle for the crumbs. Mm-hmm. And I did. I settled for the crumbs for a long time. And that little timer at Vitality Gym, he um, died of emphysema. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I lost it because he was my higher power. I could not believe in God. There were... Um, you know, I grew up in church and my youth pastor sexually abused me and I had a priest sexually abuse me. So there was like all this like convoluted stuff going on with my mom being religiously abusive and like all this stuff Mm -hmm. that I just could not get the God thing. And I was like, I'm never going to do it. Never, never going to happen. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I met this lady and she read every word on every page of the big book and she's. She changed everywhere where it said God to higher power so that I could hear it. Mm -hmm. And she said, why can't Jim be your higher power? Like, he was your higher power when he was here. Why can't he still be your higher power? He's even bigger now. Right, exactly. (laughs) And, you know, I just love that the the, the big book tells us that, you know, it can be just as much as a feeling for a friend. And that that one sentence saved my life. Mm -hmm. And so I was finally able to do all the steps in a row with one person and get that relief and finally get to a place where I could have a life, you know, Mm -hmm. like have a life where I wasn't depressed because there was a period of time that I quit going to meetings and I was still calling for a color every single day. And, you know, like it was exhausting 
for sure. And I didn't want to do life anymore. Mm-hmm. And at, you know, 10 years sober, I wanted to kill myself. Yep. Because I hadn't had that spiritual awakening and I hadn't done the steps. And when I finally did it, like my whole life came alive. And I get to sponsor a lot of women today. I speak all over the country mm-hmm. and um, I get to travel a lot. And I have my dream job. Like, <laughs> you know, I walked into a meeting one day and somebody said, Amy, have you ever thought about being an interventionist? And I was like, that is my dream job. Like, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine anything else that I would rather do. And so I started doing interventions in 2012 and um, sober coaching and sober companion stuff. And, you know, like, it's been amazing. My life is um, so, so much more than I ever thought it would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have sold myself far short. If I would have even made a little bit of a plan, uh-huh. I would have shorted myself. Yep. That's why it's always good to let let uh, your higher power handle that. You know, uh, we can plan the plan, but we can't plan the results. That's right. You know, um, all we can really do is get up every day with the information that we have and make decisions not based on self to help other people. You know, uh, and intervention is extremely important. Intervention and prevention are two of the things right now that. I'm kind of focused on myself because there's just not enough of it. And we're here to educate people. That's what that's what this is all about. So um, that's great. Is there anything else you'd like to say in closing? Or I mean, I think that really my, um, my goal is to help people. Just mm-hmm. like you said, it's really just being that that light of hope that people can see that no matter how far down that you've gone, that you can benefit somebody, that you can save somebody's life in a million different ways. You know, Mm -hmm. like um, the 12 steps isn't the only way to stay sober, but it's the way that I found to stay sober. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've over the years, I've found all kinds of different things that have worked. And, you know, there are a million things that have saved my life, like trauma treatment. I Mm -hmm. went to inpatient trauma treatment when I was uh, about six years ago. I went inpatient for a whole week and I was like, everybody's like are you going impatient like what's wrong with you and i needed it you know like i had been raped at knife point and i had had a lot of sexual abuse and i didn't know how to deal with it i was still Mm -hmm. having nightmares and went through that and then had rapid resolution trauma therapy done in denver with this lady uh, heather reynolds who is amazing by the way like i have i fly people in from other states to go see her Mm -hmm. because she is that amazing like in seven sessions she cleared away a lot of those nightmares that i was having released me from like all the anger and stuff that I was having around my mother and you know there's so many different things out there that we can use to help us be the best version of ourselves and what was her name again Heather Reynolds okay Heather Reynolds so I'll get her contact information um, from you after and if anybody in Colorado or anybody listening if you if you want somebody I mean let's help somebody out and I'll get the phone number then go ahead and contact me um, and, uh, we'll get you guys set up. So, um, Amy, I appreciate you being on here and telling your story. Um, thanks for having me. Certainly. Um, <laughs> you know, the, I, I get the joy of interviewing, um, and, and listening to everybody's story and being a part of it. And with this, I want people to notice that, I mean, you sobered up when you were 21, 22, 22, 21, 22. And that's pretty young. I, you know, 
alcoholism doesn't decide whether or not it's going to have time. And time is not a factor. Time is something that's man-made anyway. And alcohol will take women quicker than it does men. That's just a statistical fact. But then there's some of us that it'll just rip through us. I have a very short drinking career also. Um, and it's because when I did drink, I drank, 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 drank. And I used up my, my card really quick. <laughs> and then I used up my wife's card. And then I used up my kid's card. Anyway. <laughs> So, um, you know, let, let's remember, and I think you said it there at the end, always be open to what's going on around you because what you say and what you do has an effect on other people. You can help somebody else. And I also like the, the line, um, it doesn't matter how far down the line you've gone, but it also doesn't matter how far you haven't gone. I don't care if you have a week. I don't care if you have 20 years. You can help somebody else. That's right. You don't so. have to get off at the bottom floor. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. You don't have to wait till it's the last block in the house. And there's stuff out there for that. I'm not going to plug my own business right now, though. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, closed mouth friend. I'm not going to bring it up. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Dion, your host with Raw Recovery. Amy was our guest. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, please reach out. Until then, stay safe. I love you and have a day.